Hey, Blenders, on this week's show, IATSE reached an agreement. Dune is here, so we have our reviews, spoiler-free and spoiler-filled, and Denis Villeneuve is our guest. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, Blunders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 187 of Real Blend, a podcast that wonders uh, if, Kevin, can you tell me... Denis Villeneuve's all-time favorite Josh Brolin movie. Oh, no. Kev, Denis Villeneuve... Oh, oh, I got it, I got it, I got it. Wait, hold on. They've worked together for a long time. I got it. it. It's not one of their collaborations. I know. It's... Doonies. (laughs) (laughs) Yes! 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 Thank you. We are... We are... Symbiotic. I love it. <laughs> that was really, that was actually pretty damn good. I'm not going to lie. On this week's show, IATSE has reached an agreement with producers to prevent a strike. Dune is here. And director Denis Villeneuve, I can't believe I can say that. Director Denis Villeneuve joins the show. Uh, that is not a typo. He is our guest on the show. Uh, let me introduce the guys first, starting with Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Hello, Jake. I love that shirt on you, Jake. Oh, thank you. You should you should watch the show on YouTube if you if you uh, want to see it. It's a, we're gonna it's get a, to that. In a second. Uh, you know, the, I don't. Know, I want to flash back very quickly before we introduce the other handsome person on this show. Oof. And uh, remember, at the beginning of 2020, when we did our 100th episode live recording, I and did. I said that my most anticipated film of the year was Dune, but I said that there's another film that I cannot wait to see coming out with Tom Hanks and a dog called Bios. That's true. That's probably... So, it's a big week for me. This is a big week for you. But you don't want to say out loud what's going on. Well, I can say that I've seen... Well, I haven't seen Bios, but I've seen a film called Finch. Finch, Finch. yes. Which is also known as... uh, What is it? Castaway meets Borat? We'll explain more on I'm that. Gonna little, in a little while. I'm going to punch you in the face. <laughs> the I'll other guy you. is Kevin McCarthy of Fox uh, 5 in Washington, D.C. how handsome D. he is. He does look really He's nice. He's junkie ready. Sean, Jacob, Gabriel, good to see you guys as Hi, always. Dune, Dooney's was 
that, Kev, that, that's your mask. That's your Kev masterpiece. Duties. Yeah. As, soon, as soon as I thought it, I realized. I picture you like in, in Man on Fire, like Sean walking away from a car on fire, and, and Kevin just going, he's about to paint his masterpiece, and you just see Doonies, Doonies floating across the screen. Uh, we want to get into housekeeping, and Gabriel has some announcements to make. Gabe, why don't you kick us off? Yes. So, as blenders may have noticed um we have a new release schedule and now we can officially sort of announce that we're going to be consistent with it moving forward um on fridays friday mornings we will be launching every episode of real blend yay um real blend premium will still have be on mondays and if we ever have bonus episodes as you know we do every once in a while those will be on wednesdays they will drop in the morning oh that's cool um on each of those days yeah so so moving forward when you want to listen to Real Blend, it will drop Friday mornings consistently. And if you're a premium subscriber, that means you potentially could get three episodes of us a week. This is true. This lot. is true. And and with that announcement, it's I want to say keep, <laughs> it's a little too much. Keep an eye out for, in the main show for some uh, new content, some new things that we might try. Uh, now that we have this sort of more consistent release schedule, there's some more things we can uh, we can plan for and have fun with uh, coming out on Fridays, which is when movies are released, like Dune. Like that Dune, more on that. This week, we are going to be doing a spoiler review of Dune. If you want to get uh, some access to Ribble and Premium, to get an ad-free version of the show and a newsletter from me, which I think is, this is a newsletter week, uh, go to cinemablend.com backslash Premium Because we have some really fun shows on that one as well, too. And now you have an access to, like, an entire library of them. Yeah, we're, what are we, 60-plus episodes into Premium now? Something like that. Yeah. And this is episode 187. I, I've got to say, some of the hardest I've laughed in the cup. history of us together is is on the premium episodes. Just because we kind of yeah. just let loose. It is true. That is a really fun one. I want to bring some of the games from that into the main show. Tom Honks. Because... <laughs> yeah, that is a good one. Uh, all right, let's get into the poll. So, um, Ridley Scott had a movie coming out this past week. or la- Well, last week, Ridley Scott had a movie coming out. And we all um, raved about it and told you guys to go see it. And not a lot of people listen to us. What what did it make? Did anyone have the figure? Uh, under five. It was like four point something. Four point five, five or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not good. So we asked you guys, uh, why didn't you go see the last duel? And we gave you a couple options. Um, so uh, Kev, here are the options I gave the people, and I want you to tell me which one that, that you think they chose. Right? I know. Maybe they're all waiting for Gucci. Uh, the choices were: it looked boring. Uh, I'm not going into a theater just yet meaning you don't feel comfortable going yet. Uh, I'll see it eventually. Oh, oh, I did. Last one is waiting for Gucci. There you go. So which one do you think the people went with? That's interesting because I'm trying to figure out the audience for The Last Duel because one of the arguments we made last week in terms of No Time to Die was the idea that it's skewed older, right? And the idea that like Shang-Chi and Free Guy and all these films that maybe skew a little younger uh, and Venom 2 are just crushing at the box office. So Last Duel is interesting to me because, one, I would argue leading up to The Last Duel, there wasn't a lot of talk about it, right? I don't remember there being a lot of conversation yeah. surrounding it until maybe like a week or two prior. Um, to be honest with you, I think it's the... What was the first option? Looked boring. Looked boring is the first one. And then not going into a theater was second. I'll see it eventually and then waiting for Gucci. I don't think it's waiting for... I, I, I'm, I'm going to say it's looks boring. Yeah, well, it looks boring got 27%. Okay. 
but I'll see it eventually. Got 57%. That's a, so that's that a, one I, did pretty well. Everyone yeah. I tell about this movie says, oh, that sounds good. And then whenever mm, I followed up this week, they're like, oh, no, I'm not, I didn't go see it. But like, it sounded good when he talked about it. So sure. it's really great. And I, I, yeah. I, I hope people find it. And Jake, I know you tweeted about this as well. The idea that box office doesn't mean the movie itself is not great. I mean, the film is last week. Last week was a perfect example of of box office not meaning quality. Mm-hmm. Halloween Kills was not a great film. It was a pretty bad film, I thought, uh, in terms of just in, just in general and in, in terms of story and performance and acting and just screenwriting. It just didn't flow right. It was kind of a middle film that had no you know, meaning because we we're waiting for the third one. But um, but at the same time, that movie was made, what, $56 million or whatever it was. And it made and that it was money. available on Peacock. Right. It made yeah. it on the same and the, the same weekend it was released on stream. More people died in Halloween Kills than subscribed to Peacock. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sean, Sean, I think, pronounced it wrong. I think it's Peacock because you're yeah. not really sure if it exists. Peacock. Peacock? It was on Peacock? The only reason yeah. we have Peacock is because Brendan is a huge fan of The Office. And when they took uh, The Office off of Netflix, we got you him You should bring him to, to Chicago. Wait, why? Oh, for they that have, display? They've re- yeah, they've I recreated him, the set. Yes, I showed him the video, and he actually did say, when are we going? And, it's, I it's, said, and it's not just, you know, never. a lot of times bars will do, like, pop-ups, and they have, like, cutouts of Michael Scott and Dwight. They actually brought in, and they did it similar um, with uh, the Friends experience here in Chicago as well. Uh, they brought in NBC, who basically sat down with them and were like, here are the, here are the specs yeah. for the set. Here's it how looks far, awesome. You know, it's, it, it's like you're walking onto the set. It's incredible. It's incredible. Really if you're cool. if you're around Chicago, it's called the Office Experience. It's on the Mag Mile. It's worth your time. Is that Marvel thing still in the exhibit? Yeah, uh, yeah. Good luck getting a ticket. It's it's sold out for. It, I mean, it's been sold uh, out weeks, months in advance. So you'd have to know the local entertainment reporter to. Well, uh, I was, to get you I was in. just gonna say, I know you. Yep. That can get me in, right? Oh, it'll get your ass kicked out. VIP tour. Last time I was in Chicago, I visited an AT and T store to go to a Game of Thrones chair <laughs> or the throne. <laughs> And then ran into Kathleen Kennedy. <laughs> See what happens? Great things happen when you come Some to Chicago. Some of the weirdest things yeah, happen in Chicago. Strange. All right. Well, listen, we, uh, we've, we've killed enough time. Let's get to our, our interview this week because we have a big one. Um, this happened a while ago. Well, like everything with Dune, it happened a long time ago and we kind of forgot that it happened. Uh, but we had Denis Villeneuve join the show. This is a great conversation. Uh, I, I say that with all humbleness and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think this one turned out really great. We're kind hopefully, of the best. I say with you guys all agree. Uh, here's Denis talking about Dune on Robland. Obviously, Zimmer's score is amazing, but I want to talk about Greg's cinematography because it is some of the most gorgeous cinematography I've seen on camera uh, in a long, long time. It's incredibly immersive. But I want to talk about the IMAX aspect of it. Uh, we we have not seen the film in IMAX. We've only seen it in the normal format at the moment. So I wanted to ask you what scenes we can expect from the IMAX format and whether and, yeah, and whether or not the wind and the sand was affecting your cameras at all as you were, as you were photographing. The thing is, uh, uh, that's one of the first decisions that uh, uh, when, 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 as a filmmaker, when you you uh, uh, prep for a new movie, one of the decisions you will have to make is the format. Will it be scope, 185, uh, 106? Uh, because it has an impact on how you read a movie, how you receive in a movie. A movie. And on this one, uh, uh, I kept saying to Greg, I see it as a square format. There's something about the, the intimacy uh, uh, that it creates and the um, desert had been embraced so many times on 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 on, the, on scope. So I, I was like, it feels like it could be right to go 
and uh, quickly we had started to have a conversation about IMAX uh, to try the, the immersive feeling of IMAX and how it would be the perfect way to approach the, the desert in a new way, which would be the, with the, the IMAX format. And uh, uh, that's more a, a squarish format that uh, I, I deeply love. Yeah, the one four three to one that Nolan uses, like in Dunkirk and Tenet. Yeah, yeah, we 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 went for it, and uh, the, um, um, and I would encourage, uh, uh, I would say that that's to see it in one four three is is a, quite a, a, an experience. Now, um, the uh, idea was to uh, um, um, the, to use IMAX. Uh, in a way that uh, will, uh, uh, when you go from uh, uh, scope to IMAX, it creates, it has an impact and it really creates a, 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 a punch and a punctuation in the narrative. And uh, um, of course, uh, uh, the more the movie evolves, the more the movie becomes immersive, the more we are losing frame and the more the, 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 the world gets bigger, the more we are in contact with Arrakis. Uh, so everything involving the desert uh, of course, has been shut uh, uh, with uh, the, uh, the uh, IMAX format and everything involving dreams as well. That was the way we approached oh. the, the uh, approach. The, so it creates sometimes like very experimental <laughs> punctuation that Greg and I loved. By the way, it's like to play uh, uh, with the, the punctuations like that that uh, will uh, create uh, an impact. Uh, it was the first time that I was trying to do this, and and uh, uh, it was quite. Uh, uh, an interesting process, a stimulating process. Now, uh, it mean, meant that we were shooting with two formats. I mean, we didn't shoot everything spherical, uh, uh, IMAX. We choose uh, in proper pre-production which scene exactly or which shot would be shot in IMAX and commit to it. There were, we had a saying, uh, Greg Fraser and I, which was, let's burn the boat. There would be no return back. So we think we, we all the decisions were more made on camera. So it meant that uh, there will be no way, <laughs> no way to go back to, 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 to change our mind. Once we were in, in post-production, uh, we did everything as we were shooting. So it mean, meant that uh, we, we shot with two formats, which are like uh, uh, spherical IMAX or with uh, anamorphic uh, 235. And it's like uh, uh, the way the movie was shot with the XILF, which is a format that uh, I thought brought the, the, the something to the image that was very modern, but still uh, uh, had some kind of romantic uh, effect to it. It's like, um, I was thinking that I will shoot the movie in 35. That for me, it was a given. I would shoot Dune in 35. And then oh. we were all excited about that. And and I, we made a lot of tests. We, we tested the 35, 65 millimeters, then the Alexa 65 and LF and to my, I was like totally destabilized that the look I was dreaming, the, 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 the thing that was closer to what I had in mind was the Alexa LF. It has a sensuality mm -hmm. and it has a, a capacity to shoot in, in, in the extremes that uh, was perfect for us to, to shoot the night scene that we were uh, uh, aiming to do in the desert because the idea, and it's one of the reasons I work with Greg Fraser on Dune is... Um, that I love how Greg is able to play with natural light, how he is able mm. to uh, embrace nature. And, and that was at the very heart of the, of the project, you know, to, to get closer to nature and, and to try to not create beauty shots, but more to 
trying to catch the power of nature and and uh, and uh, I thought that from his past work, Greg had amazed me uh, his use of natural light. So it's like um, we went in the desert and uh, didn't up, uh, open a, a spotlight once, maybe where it was one or two shots, but we spent the uh, weeks working without the uh, just using the, the the power of the sun as a and the same uh, for night shoots we were I, I said to Greg I want the nights to feel is there a way we could find a way to not having uh, to lit uh, the desert and anyway such a thing is impossible of course so sad. <laughs> but the idea was to try to 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 create a feeling of sensuality and a feeling of proximity and then something so familiar in the light that you truly believe that you are on a planet for real and uh, all coming from the natural quality of the light. So uh, we shot in the, in the, the desert and the just before the night, it's us and it will create that feeling of a almost Cuba diving feeling that you are on Arrakis <laughs> just in a clear night. Yeah, so it's kind of very exciting to work this way. But awesome. not, not easy. Awesome. Um, Denis, I would like to stay on cinematography, um, but just jump back one film. Um, I feel like we were all uh, personally invested in Mr. Deacon's uh, getting an Oscar, which is ridiculous. Uh, it means nothing to us, <laughs> but it just felt like that was important. Uh, what did it mean for you that one of your films was the one that finally got Mr. Deacon's his, his Academy Award? Listen, for me, I, I'm still waking up in the morning pinching myself that I had the chance to work with Roger. Seriously, mm -hmm. it's like uh, working with Roger has been one, one, uh, if not the biggest uh, privilege of my life as a filmmaker. And uh, I remember if you had asked me 20 years ago, what would have been my uh, fantasy? What would be a dream of mine to, as a filmmaker, I would have said, I would love to work with a master cinematographer, someone that... Uh, uh, I will learn from, you know, someone that I will, because the cinematographer at the end of the day is your closest partner as you are making a movie. It's become an extension of yourself and, and, and an extension of your eye. And there's a proximity and intimacy that you develop with uh, with the, this this artist that, uh, and I was saying, uh, I hope one day I will have the chance to work one time with one of these masters and Roger being the one. I was like, <laughs> it's a blast for me. Uh, and, and I will say, say something, there's in a way, I will dare to say there's a, 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 a the ghost of Deakins isn't on, on, in, in Dune. Why? Because mm. I spent a year side by side doing VFX with Roger Deakins, and it was like going back to film school, <laughs> studying light with Roger. And you know, we were each shot in the, in the Blade Runner was supervised by uh, Roger and myself. And I, I was like, uh, Roger was a, uh, 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 I say adamant or, or terrible. I wanted to, I don't know if it's the right word, sorry. He was, he, it was very important for him that the look of the film will look as real and, and we respected uh, our aesthetism that we had developed. So he, he supervised with me like uh, no DP had ever done, I think, each shot in Blade Runner. So, so it's like, it's a, the cinematography is just not what he captured on set, but as importantly, the 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 the, the nature of the VFX that will be added to his, the, his cinematography. So he, 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 it was a full Deakins experience that they brought. It allowed me. It allowed me to to see the process, to to be with him, and to to listen to him. To on each shot, how can we achieve realism with VFX through light, through lighting, and uh, that, that I, I I learned. So much, and I, as I was doing VFX on, on Dune, I realized 
the um, incredible amount of knowledge I, I, I got from Roger. And um, it, it really helped me to, to, uh, to work on my VFX team and to guide them uh, uh, toward uh, something that feels right. You know? He's a legend. Wow. Wow. Amazing. He is. He is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Way, so guys, are you. I, I, I will recommend strongly if uh, you haven't not seen it, uh, the, the, you know that Roger just uh, put uh, on the, on the, the, in the bookstore a book about his photograph. And it's so beautiful. Black and white uh, a photography from Roger Deakins. It's a stunning book. I will strongly oh, recommend you guys to, yes. to run to the next bookstore because it's really beautiful. It's like... Uh, yeah, very inspiring. That's amazing. Mm. Uh, Denis, whenever I heard that you were going to be splitting the story into... Right product placement here. I'm, oh, I'm no. <laughs> no, no, not at all. We're all immediately going <laughs> to run and go get that book now. Yeah, no, no not at all. I, I, I was just... Uh, it's just that uh, he's a tremendous artist. And we are lucky to live. Sometimes you have people like that around us say, wow, I lived through the, the, the years of, uh, of, uh, of Roger Deakins, so... Uh, yeah, and what I didn't answer to your question, but uh, to, to that he, uh, the fact that he won for Blade Runner, I think that uh, frankly, between us, Roger could have won uh, several times before. Yeah, know? so many movies he did uh, were just, uh, so beautiful. But uh, of course, like you guys, I was rooting. To... At one point, I said to Roger, "You have nothing to lose. Either your legion increase, or uh, either you you win, you win. So you're in a win-win position." <laughs> right? True. Very true. <laughs> Uh, Denny, whenever I heard that you were going to be splitting the story into two, I immediately did what most people did, which crack open my book and try to figure out like, wait, where the hell is he going to, yeah, to yeah. split this story? So I have a bit of a two part question for you. How did you decide where to make the cut between part one and part two? And for the last act of the film, did you shoot anything that you did not use here that might be then saved for part two? No, the thing is that uh, uh, that was not uh, that was a, a process that was done in screenwriting. And uh, the truth is that uh, there was a, a version of the story that was uh, uh, finishing a bit uh, a bit later, meaning that we were going to the siege and then we were uh, having the water of life ceremony on that. And uh, the, the problem with that version is that uh, after uh, two hours and a half to start to, it, it was like, it really felt like the beginning of something. Mm. It really felt like instead of, of uh, closing a chapter, it felt like, all right, and now, let's start, start this. And, and it felt like uh, uh, we were adding another hour to the movie that uh, it, 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 it felt the movie would have been too long and it didn't felt right. I mean, it, it, maybe it feels right in the book, but in, in the movie, it felt like a, 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 a second ending and, and, and the starting more precisely, it felt like we were starting a, a new story. So a new part of the story, a new chapter. So it's, it felt wrong. And uh, uh, we went back as we were that, of course, all in the screenwriting process. And uh, John Spade and I, at the time, we, uh, we explored this idea. My, my initial idea uh, was that it should happen. The, the movie should end when uh, Paul encounter directly a sandworm at the, uh, uh, at the end. There was something, there's a moment there that I was like, was that the apotheosis of the, the story, that the apex, I think we said in English. Uh, of the the story and and um, and then meeting finally meeting the frame and, and we went back to this original idea uh, the first idea I had so to make the, sh the story a bit more condensed and more more tight uh, with more momentum 
and uh, and that became the and we didn't didn't question this after so once we found the, the, the this the, what you saw descending it's exactly uh, uh, how we shot it and how we cut it there's no uh, other material there it's mm. like uh, that that was the and it felt right because it felt that uh, Paul's arc in part one from what he has to go through was completed. Uh, and now mm. yeah, he's, he's, he, he has completed, he has learned things. Yeah, he has, he has, he went through a full transformation and now he will be ready for part two. That's, that, 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 in fact, we focused on Paul as it was intended. So it's like, I think that for me, it's the perfect ending, which is uh, not exactly the same as in the book. Mm. Time for Muadib, you know, I'm ready. Yeah, we're, we're, we're all, we're all. Yeah, yes, we're all ready. It was refreshing for me because on set sometimes Timothy uh, uh, was uh, in some scene. He said, "I said I was saying to him, Timothy, don't do this like that." He said, "Yeah, but I'm Muadib." I said, "No, you're not Muadib. You're not yet Muadib. You're not you're just Paul Atreides. Go back there. That's that's, that's later." And he was like, "Very funny. Am I Muadib? No, you're not." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Denise. Speaking of product placement, I just spent six hundred dollars on that Dune Art and Soul book that you guys made that, wow. that Zimmer. I cannot wait to get that. But I'm going back. One of the things that I find interesting is you're talking to a podcast right now that is huge advocates of the theatrical experience we 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 want to see everything in theaters that's that's our goal it changes everything and cinematic immersion means so much to us and christopher nolan is the same way and you both have been very strong advocates about the theatrical experience and i wanted to know what it what it means for you to stand alongside someone like nolan and, and have that presence of that of that idea of pushing people to movie theaters in a safe way but making sure people yeah, understand yeah. that but also the idea i was wondering uh, did you ever see tenant i was wondering if that was a movie you saw so just kind of you're standing alongside nolan did you see tenant and what do you think of it the thing is that uh, i will say first that uh, uh for me the the big screen is is not that it's some it's some kind of a nostalgic way of seeing film or or because uh, uh of box office or whatever it has nothing to do with that it has to do with the the, the immersive quality of a theatrical experience Yep. Is, uh, by the fact that the, you are in front of, of uh, there's a saying, I think Jean-Luc Godard said, you're looking down at TV and you're looking up at, at movies, you know? There's something about that, that the screen is bigger than what your, your, your uh, field of vision can see. And that immersive quality, the feel that you're being immersed and you're like, uh, uh, like diving into the image uh, create something that uh, you cannot experience at home. And also today, I will say that sound design, uh, um, the Atmos sound system, the Dolby Atmos sound system or IMAX system, it's it's a, a way of dealing with sound that is becomes almost physical. I mean, when you listen to that, you you're, yeah. you have a full body reaction toward the impact of the sound on your body and the way the sound moves in the room. It, you cannot recreate that at home. And it's it's uh, something that means that the experience become total, immersive. And more importantly, is that in a theater, you're committed. There's an engagement with the, the, the object of the film. At home, you can stop the movie. You can uh, have a problem with your dog. You can answer to the phone, but not at a theater. In theater, it is a fully commitment. And, and that's the way a movie, needs. it's an hypnotic experience, like a dream. You cannot control a dream. You're supposed to let go and embrace. And, and there are so many movies sometimes that when you watch them in the theater, you are forced to 
uh, in, uh, abandon yourself in the hands of, of, of an artist and to just follow and be guided to the story. And, and it, it's, it's not the same when you do this at home. And even more important, I think that as human beings, a communal experience is something that is very important. We are not meant to be isolated. We are meant to be together. And even if your neighbor eats popcorn or even if your neighbor laughs too loud, it's part of the what it's being human. It's being together and, and receive the full experience together. And there's nothing more strong than to share emotions together. And that's the end. It's at the very core of the human experience. I mean, we are not alone in an asteroid. We are billions of people on the planet. And, 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 and we were at the birth of humanity, we were all listening to storytellers on a fire, beside a fire, and we're all together listening to the stories. It's that, that's at the very core of the, of the human experience. I think it's uh, the, 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 there's not, not no many other uh, collective experience like that are left in society. And I think that cinema is a, a role to, sh to, to, to do. More important, I think it's, a, it's important to say, I love streaming. I mean, streaming saved my life in the pandemic. I went through full Criterion channel. I went through back in the cinema history. I saw amazing masterpieces and it just helped me to go through that, 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 ter that the, these terrible months. But, and I love the power of streaming that allows us to go through the memory of cinema, to revisit movie. But I don't, I, I think that it's important that, that, uh, uh, movies are being at uh, the possibility to be seen by everybody in the same time. Meaning that my problem with, uh, with streaming is a tribal, the tribalization of culture. You when you have the Apple tribe, the Hulu tribe, the Amazon tribe, the Netflix tribe, if you tell me, I saw this fantastic movie on Hulu, I will say, I have no idea what you're talking about. It's not my choice. <laughs> and I love the fact that the movies is, is something can, can build a bridge among everybody. When Jaws came out, everybody could have access to Jaws in the same time on the planet. There's something beautiful about that. Interesting. The idea that cinema is there to build bridge, not to create bubbles. Bon, finish. Okay. <laughs> okay. I was blown away by Tenet. I think it's a masterpiece. I think Tenet is like a, a, a movie that is an incredible cinematic achievement. I agree with you 100%. I think that it's like a, it's a, a, a very complex movie. I had so much fun. I saw it several times and each time uh, was a blast. And uh, I think the level of mastery of Christopher Nolan is unmatched and, and uh, is by far one of the best film work, filmmaker working in the world today because people don't realize the high level of the is cinematic mastery. It's, 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 it's crazy. Yes. <laughs> it's crazy good. I mean, me, uh, every time Chris put a movie on screen, and I, I want, uh, I'm going in uh, a... Uh, to see it, uh, of course, I saw Tenet on theater. I mean, you cannot see a Nolan movie at home. It's the, that's that's like, uh, yeah, it may, that makes absolutely no sense. I mean, you have to to, uh, to uh, yeah. <laughs> first receive the full impact of a, of a Nolan movie in a, in a theater. It's like, uh, um, no, I, I I really uh, is it's really uh, fascinating to see him evolving from move one movie to the other and always pushing the envelope technically, narratively. And always reinventing himself, and for me, it's like a, it's a, it's deeply inspiring to see uh, uh, that master uh, at work. I mean, uh, 
I'm, uh, I deeply love Danette. That's uh, what I think. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Denis, yeah. before we run out of time, and obviously I wish we had, I wish we had the entire day with we have you. So sir. many we questions were, for you. <laughs> like, we, been, we were up all night writing questions for you. Yeah. I'm being serious. Thank you, guys. Yes. Thank you for your enthusiasm. It's, 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 it's very nice. Um, if, if you had the ability to show uh, Frank Herbert uh, one sequence from your interpretation of Dune and just, and just get his reaction. Uh, I, I'm curious what you, what you would choose to show him. Oh, uh, uh, that's a very good question. I think that I would love to show him three scenes. I would love to show him, show him the, the arrival of the, the Reverend Mothers followed by the Gamjabar. I would love to, to see how we feel about that. I think that's pretty close to the, to the book. Uh, uh, I think I would love to share with him my interpretation of, of uh, uh, Paul's uh, journey, first journey in the desert with, with the Duke and, and Gurney when they, they see a harvester for the first time and, and the first Paul uh, footstep on, in the desert. I think that it's a slightly different from the book. And I'm pretty proud about how, 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 how we brought it to the screen. And, and uh, I would have loved to see what he felt about that, that approach. And then... Uh, I think that I would have loved to share with him the final uh, sequence of the movie where Paul finally meets the Fremen, because that very close to what my dream when I was a kid. I remember being in the desert and I was beside uh, uh, Paul at 3Ds with a camera and listening to Stilgar in the dark and I had shivers. I was like, oh God, it's so close to what I had. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. I'm going to squeeze in one more before we have to cut you loose. We, I heard a quote recently, which is the, the golden age of science fiction is when you're 12 years old. And I know that's an age that many of us were handed this book for the first time. What would 12-year-old Denny think of Dune if he were to sit down and watch it? But I mentioned I, 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 the truth is that uh, I, I kept that guy beside me all the way through the, the shooting process because I was making the movie for him. Uh, <laughs> and he's a, he's a tough critic. I mean, that's the problem I had to deal with. He's, he's a, a very harsh, very arrogant, very uh, big dreamer. And, and uh, I didn't want to disappoint him. And it was very difficult mm. for me as a 53 years old filmmaker to try to please that teenager. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, sometimes I succeed, sometimes I didn't. And uh, I, I still have to, to deal with him. But uh, I will say that that's the way I did this movie, going back to the past and being in a relationship with that part of myself that dreams so big. Well, Denis, we want to say this is truly an absolute honor to have you on our show. Uh, this is a show that we created specifically to have conversations like this. And we've been texting ever since we saw the movie. And this means so much to us. We literally spent our entire Saturday night last night for three hours on Zoom going over questions for you today. And this was the list we came up with. And I just want you to know how much this movie means to us, how much your filmmaking has meant to us over the years from Enemy to Blade Runner 2049, Sicario, everything. Uh, you were one of the greatest to do, ever do it. And uh, it's an honor to have you on our show seriously it was like uh, all the privilege was mine and you are very generous with me and it's very welcome i thank you very much i need that energy so, so i thank you i thank you guys thank you we need to thank uh wb for giving us time with uh denis who's just a fantastic filmmaker obviously we're gonna From play him venice if Le i'm wrong well yeah that was when the movie was having yeah. its its big world premiere wow obviously slammed for time with press and and everything going on so for him to sit down for a long form interview with us is just uh i mean we're beyond honored so it's uh, unbelievable yeah. and later in the show we're gonna play the Villeneuve blend and uh phew, good luck with that one 
This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Uh, so let's get to a few of the bigger topics. From the week that has passed, I mentioned at the beginning of the uh, show that IATSE uh, has agreed to a deal preventing a strike that would, in essence, have shut down the entire uh, film industry. And now crew members can, according to what we're seeing uh, in the terms that are being announced, look forward to more humane working conditions and better pay. Um, I'm a little bit torn on this because from what I've been hearing from a lot of people, at first it was a big splash of this was great. We avoided a strike. But as you're getting into a few more of the details, I've been hearing from people who whose lives are directly affected by this. And they're saying maybe we didn't get everything that we were hoping to get. Um, but I, I think for the time being, the shortage has been uh, the labor shortage, the labor strike and walkout has been prevented. Uh, have you guys heard anything from your side about angles that are happening with it? Or it feels like it's still a, a work in progress. Well, like um, there was a variety article I was reading earlier that that like I'm going to literally just quote it. It says, but the drama is not over. The contracts must still be ratified. And many okay. members quickly mm -hmm. denounced it on social media. That, that's a direct quote from Variety. So okay. kind of goes to the point of what you're saying. But it, I guess it's not official. Right. Right. Uh, it hasn't been ratified. It hasn't been ratified. I, OK, so progress on that end. And we'll continue to track that story because it's a massive story in terms of the, the number of people that it affects uh, and the industry grinding to a halt if they're not yeah. getting the. The conditions they need. Um, Disney delayed basically its entire 2022-2023 slate. Uh, that affects all the Marvel movies. It affects, uh, in, well, not I'm sorry, not all the Marvel movies, most of them. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is staying in its May slot. 2023, that's about to start shooting uh, very soon. Doctor Strange gets moved from March to May, I believe, and then everything sort of took a step backwards. The one that really took a hit from that one is Indiana Jones 5, which moves back just shy of an entire year. Um, and so let me talk about the Marvel ones briefly, and then I want to hear hey, from you Sean. guys on, on indie. Yes, Kev. I think we'll be a little James Mangolder when uh, that movie finally releases. <laughs> so will Harrison Ford. He's going to be a lot James Mangolder. <laughs> um, do you guys think that there's any credence to the fact that Marvel moved uh, to get out of the way of the Batman? The Batman opens in I, March. 
I read that online. I mean, first of all, yes, the Batman trailer is absolutely ridiculously amazing. Um, and we're not going to have time to dive into the DC fandom stuff on this show. But that trailer was absolutely phenomenal, right? It was great. And I think, and then the news came about Disney delaying, you know, a day or two, whatever it was after that. I highly, I mean, I saw people online saying that, like, oh, is it because of the Batman? I highly doubt that well, they... Well, especially would... if Doctor Strange ends up becoming as big as they think it's going to be, right. then that's the movie you'd want to put up against. Yeah. Uh, but I, I will say, isn't it kind of fun that, I mean, Marvel used to kind of run the gauntlet in terms of, you know, other movies got out of their way. Right. And I feel like the Batman is the first movie that at least, whether it's true or not, gives us pause to question, did Marvel get out of the way of the Batman? <laughs> like, to me, like, whether or not that's true or not, sure. it's exciting that we live in a world where DC is now pumping out films of quality that now make us wonder whether or not Marvel is, maybe not shaking in their boots, but going, well, shit, like, yeah. we're, we're not the guaranteed winner of that month right. like we normally would be under any other circumstance. It is pretty interesting. Um, so, of course, Feige worked, walked the uh, red carpet at the Eternals. What an premiere. impossible interview. I don't know how you guys do it. I've never interviewed him before, but anytime I see any of you guys talk to him, it's it's like trying to do a Rubik's Cube with a gun to your head. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> uh, yeah, he does sort of dodge the uh, the deals. And he said, um, he, cl- he claims it was all production. You know, the production schedule has meant that they had to push everything back. Um I was curious, and I fear this. It hasn't happened yet. If it doesn't happen yet, I wonder if it's not going to happen. But once Strange moved out of March, and now there's no Marvel movie in that March slot, that Spider-Man was going to move back. But Spider-Man could play through the holidays. I mean, Spider-Man opens big in December. It could play all the way into February. No, I agree. I agree. The only thing would be is if it's not finished. I know John Watts is working very hard at finishing it right now. Yeah. but That's got so much hype, though. That feels so too much. too hyped to delay, like to put another another bit of uh, like marketing push behind it, like to have to delay it and then restart that is one right. expensive. Not that they don't have all the money in the world, but they've got such good hype with with the whole like uh, Garfield controversy and, and the trailer was really great. It'd be hard to give up that spot, I think, for them if they end up doing it. So what about Indy 5? Oh. Uh, we are literally going to be waiting a year and a half, if not even a little bit more than that, for that movie to finally open. Do we know? I, I saw recently that they're back up and I know Harrison Ford was hurt for a hot second. Yeah. And then I saw some new set photos come out. I don't know if that means that he's back and they're good to go and they're filming again, or if those photos came from before the accident. Um, do we know how far into production they are and how much his injury set them back? I'm, I'm not aware of any sort of status on where they are with it but they're um, filming and that's that's well, something yeah and the, the the release date doesn't affect like he can get older <laughs> off screen now as long as they <laughs> capture him now well, dude, this isn't boyhood like like at a certain point <laughs> right exactly i'm Cap, still are you still gonna be interested in that movie uh well, two years come from now on, of course come on well, of, course, of course i'm interested in it but i mean i'm still i'm still trying to get over the the fact that spielberg's not doing it yeah. And I'm still trying to get over the idea that four was not a good film. Uh, I'm still trying to get over the fact that uh, Mangold's a great director, but I, I just wonder what story felt important enough to make a fifth indie film. I mean, like you're talking about one, two, one, two and three are classics. 
Um, and, you know, Temple of Doom, whatever you think about that. I love that movie, but I love all three of them. Um, four is just an outlier that I don't even think about in terms of the franchise. But few do. Do I, I, for me, I never thought to myself, I want to see a fifth Indiana Jones. Now, Mangold's one of my favorite filmmakers. Harrison Ford's back. Spielberg is not. Um, I don't know if Lucas is involved in the story credit on this one. I don't think so. I I, 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 I think that was part of the deal when he sold off Lucasfilm. That also included selling off Indy. I mean, oh, that's one of the greatest props I've ever seen in my entire life. When I got a chance to go to Lucasfilm in Northern California and they have the grail, the the actual grail is like in a glass case is amazing. Yeah, but I mean, I'll say this. I mean, at the end of the day, am I going to see it? Definitely. I'm just I'm just wondering what what is driving this film? Honestly, don't you think that it's Harrison's eagerness to end the series on a on an uphill on an upswing sure. could they be like re- could they be like retroactively fixing the fourth film, I, I don't think there's anything you can thing? do to like fix what happened but i think he would rather leave people with a good <laughs> taste in their mouth like than... deadpool deadpool going back through the timeline <laughs> shooting yeah. ryan reynolds He's... in the head <laughs> shia labeouf is going backward on the vines like away from the monkeys <laughs> it opens with harrison with the aliens and the aliens take him through like a wormhole and he comes back before that ever happened and we get to re- oh. we just get to re-see all of that and it's an actual that. interstellar sequel <laughs> yeah. yeah mcconaughey is in the whole every scene <laughs> wait what was what was um what was shia labeouf's mutt mutt he yes. could be like mutt instead of murph <laughs> and Ford, Ford just watches Indy 4 on the screen that McConaughey does and just starts crying like McConaughey does in Interstellar. He's just like laughing like he can't. Like, why? Why? For some reason, Matt Damon's still there. <laughs> Something I do want to see, though, I sent this to you guys. I don't know if we talked about it. It was an older post that like resurfaced from this concept artist who talked about working on this concept for, for, I think it was a show. Maybe I don't know if it was a movie or a movie series. Um, but I love the idea. You guys know, I love short round and it was the idea that the concept was that short round grows up and becomes like an indie, like instead of mutt or whatever that was, it kind of felt more natural of him, like coming up and kind of filling in indie shoes. And the concept art had all these very like indie inspired. I I was like, dude, that's badass. I would love to see a short round like series or something based around like, him to, kind of following in his footsteps. That would be cool. I said, like, well, Gabe has just said it is exactly what my point is about Indy. If there's a good story and a, a good enough story to propel forward, like what he's talking about, like I would, that sounds interesting to me. Yeah. That sounds oh, awesome. Um, you want to hear just, this pitch? Kev, I, I think you're going to want to hear this pitch. Please. Drew McWeeny uh, has been writing about film forever. We all I know love Drew. Drew, by the way, shout out to Drew. He's awesome. Great writer. Terrific guy. Um, yeah. Great writer. Yeah. He was on a podcast and I heard him say this. And the minute I heard it, I was like, how on earth did they not green like that? Oh, he thinks they should have done a true lies movie where Eliza Dushku, their daughter is a spy later, like as an older person. Yeah. And she gets in, in a mess and her parents have to come help her. And oh. it's, oh. it's oh. so Arnold, Arnold and Jamie, were they going to call oh. it fake truths? Fake truths. <laughs> okay, the thing is, okay, I, I feel like you're joke, but like, I feel like that would be a great name for it. Like, that would be like kind of like a wink and a nudge to like that's yeah. I, that's fantastic. Isn't that a great, that's a great pitch? Idea that's too, a because great pitch. Terrific. The cool pitch. thing about that would be, first of all, the characters can age naturally. Sure. So Eliza aged where, where to where she is. Jamie yep. Lee Curtis ages to where she is, and Arnold. Yeah, right. And so like, 
and they they can even play around with the idea that maybe Arnold can't do the same things he used to do in terms of Absolutely. action, but like. Oh my god! What a great idea! It's I so love, easy. See, I love that story. That's well, a good I, mean, I mean, that could also be like sort of the whole thing with like Indy Ford, not to make that comparison, but like he's getting older. So write that in this. Write the fact that he can't. Don't they try to convince to. us that he can. Right. Address the fact that he can't. Yep. I will never get over De Niro's uh, older body oh. with the younger face kicking that guy on the ground in Irishman, and it just um, looked. Yeah, it looked, and, and it I, just didn't I'm an apologist right. for that movie a lot. I love that movie, but <laughs> oh, that's one that scene right. That's one scene where I went like, oh, hurt. just get a body double. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's jump through what the things that are going to be opening up soon in movies because we want to leave time for us to be able to talk about uh, Dune. So there's a film coming to Netflix. Where we run through uh, who's seen what. It's a film coming to Netflix called Night Teeth. Anyone seen Night Teeth? Nope. There's a film the going to limited release called Warning. Anyone see Warning? <laughs> Warning? I do like that uh, Green Day's podcast, album, Warning. Yeah, that is a great. Yeah, that's a great. Great uh, album. Green, Green Day. Day. Album. Yeah. There's a animated film called Ron's Gone Wrong. Anyone seen Ron? Ron's Gone Wrong? Nope. All right, excellent. Uh, Wes Anderson has a film coming out called The French Dispatch. Has any of us seen The French Dispatch? Yet? I see it tomorrow. In my area, it comes out the 29th, so I don't know. It's limited. It it's limited. Limited. Tomorrow, yes. Yeah, yeah so I haven't seen it. I, yeah. I can't wait to see it. All right, I see it in Savannah uh, soon, so I'm looking forward to that. All right, well, that brings us to Dune. Uh, coming to HBO Max on Thursday. <laughs> no, no. Why, why would you mention that, Sean? I will okay. mention real quick. So the way we're going to do this this week, uh, and give us some feedback if you like this. This is one of these new Friday things we can start doing. Uh, we are going to hey. do our usual spoiler-free review of Dune. Everyone can kind of talk about what they love um, and star ratings if they have them and they want to give them. And I think it's safe to say we all recommend this. But then we will move into spoilers where we can get into details Check the show notes for uh, timestamps. I will give you plenty. We will give you plenty of warning before we start on spoilers, and I will have it timestamped out so you know where they begin and end. And if you're on YouTube, there's little chapters that you can jump to for the spoiler section. Um, and join yeah. us on the Blend Game, which was coming next. Anyway, go ahead. Spoiler-free review of Dune. I want to go first, and I just want to say that. Oh, um, do you? My Dune expectations you? for this. Oh, do <laughs> you? Said, Jake? Yeah. Dune. <laughs> oh, that's funny though. Um. My expectations for this were fairly high, but the the main reason why they were high were for Denis. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because I, I knew I would appreciate the filmmaking and the craft um, with him being, you know, just as talented as, as he is. Um, but I didn't nearly expect to get as caught up in the story as I did. Uh, and I think, and listen, obviously I know that Frank Herbert's novel is, is classic and, you know, it's been dubbed uh, unadaptable. But what made this work so well for me, um, without getting into any spoilers, is just the, how great the cast is. Like, everyone who he brings to the ensemble is so perfect in their part that it made me um, know the world and feel more feel immediately uh, comfortable in the world, whether it was um, Brolin or uh, Oscar Isaac and Rebecca Ferguson. Um, playing uh, Timothy's playing Paul's parents. Uh, I thought Timothy was great as Paul because of, of the the attitude that Paul is almost supposed to have, you know, that he, th- you know, thinks it's his time to lead, but he also kind of questions whether it's his time to lead. Um, I, I, I thought across the board, he got everybody down pat perfectly, including when you cut over to the quote unquote antagonists side of the story uh, and 
Batista and Stellan Skarsgård and these other uh, other actors who are supposed to be playing these parts, who again will become more significant when we get into part two. I thought Javier Bardem stepped into the movie and stole uh, his first scene. Uh, and um, and again, somebody said this. They said, you know, part of the I forget who said this on Twitter, but like part of the reason why I love uh, Javier Bardem as much as I do is his ability to step into an ensemble that's loaded with Academy Award winners yeah. and just remind you that like, oh, I'm one of the best working yeah. now. Um, My Oscar so, wasn't a fluke. So this really did feel like a lengthy movie that flew by. Um, and I immediately, but I will say, uh, well, I guess I'll save this part for the spoilers. I'll save this section for the spoilers because Kevin and I had a conversation right after we got out of it. Um, and there's something significant about it that I want to discuss, but I'll leave it at spoilers. Highly recommend it. Four and a half stars out of five. Uh, it's not a perfect movie to me, but it's one of the best things I've seen this year and it needs the big screen. Uh, Kev, I think you're kind of on the same wavelength. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, I mean, the movie It's so funny because when I saw it, I loved it. But as time has passed and I've thought about it more and more, I've loved it even more. I've only seen it once. So it's been about four weeks now, five weeks mm. now since we've seen the film. Um, lots of things I want to mention in terms of why it's incredible. Well, first of all, Denis is one of the greatest directors working today. OK, the guy is operating on Nolan's level, I would argue, because he is, hasn't really made a bad film. He's makes he makes films that audiences deserve. We deserve these types of movies. Audiences do because there is a way to tell great stories in an immersive environment with great storytelling and do it well and practically as much as possible. They shot so much of this stuff on location. I think Chalamet said they did like two green screen scenes. Mm. Um, You are transported into this world from the moment the film starts. A lot of that has to do with Zimmer, too. Um, Mm. I think it's probably one of Zimmer's top scores of his career it's so different than anything he's ever done the sound design the sound mixing everything that's involved in the filmmaking comes together in this beautiful cinematic experience where you are transported to this world and you are living with these characters you do not realize you're in a movie theater you do not realize you're watching a movie pure cinematic immersion um and like i've said this in my interviews there's only a few moments in my life where i remember like that type of immersion changing for me like seeing a filmmaker take me to another level of immersion um dark knight 70 millimeter imax truck flip that changed everything for me um this is right there in terms of what it did to transport me to the world and what denis does with the storytelling another thing i want to say about this i did not read the book Mm. going into the film i knew nothing really about the story I watched the trailers, I knew basic premise, I knew there was a Matrix vibe to the idea of the story, obviously written well before the Matrix, but that concept of the one. Um, I found this movie so beautifully pleasing to follow. And I say that in a way where I think exposition is such a key thing that directors have either a hard time with or they're really good at. Denis is brilliant with exposition. So what this film does really well in terms of exposition is he explains the story and every aspect of it through natural moments of dialogue and through natural moments. Like there are there's a there's scenes where like Chalamet is like learning about things. Right. We are learning about it with him. So we're learning the information with him. Like when you do exposition well you're treating the audience like they're smart. And this is a film that is like that could have been really hard to follow if you do not read the book. But for me, I was 
fully engaged. I, I, I knew all the characters, all the houses, everything. It all made perfect mm-hmm. sense. Um, from a performance standpoint, Momoa, it's the best thing he's ever done. Oh, yeah. uh, what a performance from Jason Momoa. Just absolutely crushed it. Um, has some of the best scenes in the whole film. Skarsgård is one of the most terrifying and disturbingly disgusting villains I've ever seen. Um, just the way he eats freaked me out. Um, this was like Brando style apocalypse now, like disturbing. It was it was it was wild. Um, and that's pretty much what I want to say. I, I just I feel genuinely lucky that we live in a world that I get to be alive watching this filmmaker exist. It's, as my as I said that my eyes looked over at a Hitchcock poster I have on my wall. And that's the one filmmaker I always said to myself, I wish I was alive Mm. during his filmmaking period so I could have experienced it like everybody else did. Now I'm experiencing it in the future. It was pretty special. Right. You know what I mean? And so, (laughs) yeah, Sean, Sean's 80 years old. Um, No, but in all honesty, like we are blessed with some incredible filmmakers in our time, in our lifetime, Tarantino and obviously Nolan and and Denis are, are, are at a level for me where I know that they give a shit about my experience watching their film. Mm. They care so much about it that they, and that's the problem with the HBO Max thing, and we can get into this later. They're releasing a day early on HBO Max. I mean, I, I know that movies eventually leave theaters and they, and, they, and they come to DVD shelves and they come into your home and most of the movie's life is lived out of a theater. But this movie is designed for a movie theater. And as, mm. as Denise said in our interview, this blows up to the 143 IMAX like Nolan. It's going to be insane. Uh, I haven't even seen it in IMAX yet, and it still blew my mind. I've only seen it in the 239 or 235, the widescreen format. Um, well, and not five. everybody's going to be able to see the full. Yeah. Even so the full. I'll tell people how. So this, this is interesting. I'll, I'll, this is really. I'll keep this quick, though. If you're trying to see the film in IMAX, there's only maybe less than 30 theaters in the entire country, entire a country, our United States, that can play the film in the full true IMAX that he shot it in. Sure. But which makes other... me wonder why filmmakers do it. And I listen, I know it's special, but it really if no one can see it that way, why I could be wrong because but I, I do think that I do think that IMAX helps uh, per, uh yes. pay for production and stuff whenever okay. they're involved. Also, or at least okay. marketing. Also uh to Sean's point, though, the majority of people who see Dune and IMAX are gonna see a one nine oh, which is right. still a gigantic gigantic screen it's still gonna bump up to the 190 so the majority of people will still get that imax quality it's the cameras really it's the it's the it, when you watch like a chris nolan film at home or, or in an imax theater and they jump to those imax scenes it looks better than any hd 4k i've ever seen like it's film and it looks better than hd mm. um so i, I think uh, yeah all right so i'll wrap it up because we'll get to jake um but i believe this is a movie we deserve I'm at a five out of five and we'll get into Sean's point in a second because I do want to talk about that. Um, but I'm just thankful that we have are living in a time where we get to watch this filmmaker flourish. Like he is, he is an absolute master and it is an, it's, it's a cinematic experience. Unlike anything I've ever seen before, go see it in theaters, please. If you can, and if you live in the DC area and you want to see it in the one, four, three, the full IMAX, go over to Udvar Hazi. In Chantilly, they have it. Or if you're in L.A., they have it at City Walk. Or if you're in New York, they have it at Lincoln Square. If you're in Canada, they have it at Cinesphere. And I know okay. all these theaters because I saw Dunkirk at all of them in <laughs> 70 millimeter IMAX. So uh, I went on a tour for that movie. So I would love to go on a tour for this one. 
Um, Jake, you hated it. Why? What went on? <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. It, was, yeah it, was, it was horrible. Um, no, you know, what's funny is that, um, just to correct, I mean, just in case you don't follow the show, no, I did not hate it. I love it. I love it, though. Um, you know, what's, what, I, what I think is maybe most impressive about this, and everything you said, you guys said is absolutely right, um, but one thing I do want to point out as well is that Denis, in a lot of ways, in terms of storytelling, is behind the eight ball a little bit, because mm. since... That Frank Herbert novel was so seminal in influencing some of the great sci-fi storytellers of our time. You know, yeah, yeah, and yeah, you know, everything from from Star Wars to The Matrix, the whole idea of the One and the Force, and the, you know, everything. Um, there are a lot of aspects about Dune that might seem familiar to people who mm-hmm. are unfamiliar with the influence that that novel had, and it's easy to to look at certain scenes. Uh, you know, when, when Paul Atreides has to use, you know, the voice and say, well, that's just Luke Skywalker doing the voice or I'm sorry, using the, you know, doing the force or, you know, there are aspects of, of Paul Atreides where, you know, he's going to, you know, become Muad'Dib and, and, and be like, well, that's just Neo becoming the one, you Mm -hmm. know, it's, it's, but Denis films it in such a way and presents it in such a way that even though we've seen other storytellers and filmmakers give us different variations of that source material of that Frank Herbert source material over the last 50 or 60 years, it still feels new and it still feels fresh and it still feels like something that I've never seen before. And that's one of the things I was worried about going in is if we've seen the influences, what is, is the source material going to matter? And I still feel like it absolutely does. It still feels like a completely different entity um the scope in which he you know the whole the whole thing with film is that that, you know it's it really is uh, like a time machine you know it it, it transports you across space and time you know if if a film is done right if it hits you right if it lands right if the theater's right if if, if all these different elements align like the planets just just kind of just the right way for two two and a half sometimes three hours you can forget that you're in a movie theater you can forget that you've got a place to be after you forgot you can forget that you had a fight with someone before you walked in the theater and that's kind of how i felt and i haven't felt that way in a while walking into a movie theater where it's just like it wasn't even like the four walls were there it wasn't like the screen was there wasn't like the speakers were there it was kind of like i was just sitting on arrakis watching what was going on yep and uh, it was such you know and and kevin you used the word like immersive like that's that that is what it is i mean and he he nails it in such a way that there's no, they're not playing catch up. They're not speaking down to you. It's nope. just sort of like, here's what's going on. Mm-hmm. And follow along. You got it. We, we believe in you. You can do this. You can go with it. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and uh, it's, it's interesting because I walked out feeling both grateful for the filmmakers who were able to tell amazing stories over the last 60 years because of that source material. But then also able, I was very happy that, maybe we got finally got that source material at the day and age that we did because obviously we we saw this try to be made in the early 80s for so many reasons it wasn't able to to work out so i think maybe now is just the right time to get this story so for a lot of reasons um i am deeply 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 in love with uh dune part one five out of five five out of five easy Okay, let's shift us into the spoiler talk for Dune because there's a couple of things that we need to discuss in terms of judging this movie specifically. Um, And I don't want them to sound like a knock on the film, but they're things that I can't overlook when judging this movie in particular, uh, starting with the fact that it's half the story. Uh, And I understand that... But you love Lord of the Rings and that's... That's not true. (laughs) Uh for casual audiences 
who uh, are encouraged to go check this out, um, who who might listen to all of us who say like, hey, if you've never if you haven't seen a movie in 10 years, this is the one to go back to. And they sit through two and a half hours of this movie and they get to the end and it isn't resolved. That's going to annoy a lot of people. Is, um, go ahead. Maybe sorry. they'll enjoy the ride. Maybe they'll yeah. enjoy what they went on up to this point. But there's a spot when this movie ends that is very much a continuation and, uh, you know, a tease of where it's supposed to go from this point. So I don't think that the film, as well as it could, operates as a capped off, you know, if Dune 2 doesn't happen, this still this is still productive, you know, it still was his own thing. It, it so heavily wants you to see what comes next that until we're out of this limbo, I, it's hard to, for me to judge the entire story. I, I think it's fair to say it's hard to judge the entire... I get what you're saying. It's not a... I wouldn't say it's an invalid point, but I disagree, I think. Um, because it does, but 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 a lot of things do that. A lot of things leave you with a tease. A lot of things leave you with, you know, an in, this doesn't have an end credit scene, but an end credit scene that says, like, more is coming. You know, the Avengers sure. will return. Um, I think maybe we... Maybe the issue is we know there's more. We know that this is a giant, big story, because I think if you go in completely cold, mm. well, this is a story about this family getting relocated and then being betrayed. It's, it's kind of a political story. And I think it, I think it does have that well capped off the way that he sectioned it. It's a, it's a, it's its own story. If you look at it as uh Duke Leto and his family sort of being betrayed in this sort of political opera of sorts, mm-hmm. uh, galactical or galactic political opera. And I think it, I think it does a really great job of piecing that together from Kaladin to Dune and then to to sort of him meeting up with the Fremen. So I disagree in the sense that I think a normal, I think a, a normal audience, a casual audience and a uh, someone going in cold that maybe doesn't even know that it's supposed to have all these different uh, aspects to it and it's supposed to be this, you know, grand story on the level of Lord of the Rings, as some might describe it. I think it does. I think it does manage to keep a contained story in one film. But I agree that it, it, it's certainly open ended. It's certainly saying like, which I wonder, I'd be curious um, if we ever got to talk to Denis again of like, was that strategic when you knew that oh, you only had, had when you knew you only had one left where you, did you put an emphasis on, I need this to end with a, what the hell happens next? Or people are going to be pissed. You know, like he's trying to get the audience on his side to green light mm. another one. I, I mean, the last line of the film is literally, this is only the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Well, and it's interesting because Sean and I had a discussion about this too. Cause that was a, it was a weird thing. Um, where to me where where the movie ends it is half the story and uh i i do find that if you tell people that before going to see it 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 changes that 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 um how hard that hits at the end so for example lauren uh went and saw it uh last week i saw it three or four weeks prior i was like listen just so you know this is dune part one like the title Mm -hmm. card says dune part one he he kind of gives himself a, a, an out there with that with yeah. that with that I with that, that dune part one title card well, it's, basically, and he's, it's basically saying like this is just yeah, part and one he's, of the story I he mean, said I'm that he's that. structured it in his mind he structured yeah. it as a trilogy with with trilogy. dune and then the dune messiah book as like the third right because so, dune messiah i i ha- i'm sorry i have not read it gabe but like i have been told by friends who have that like dune messiah almost that even the like because dune itself doesn't necessarily tie up like it's not like everything's tied up but like dune messiah kind of wraps everything up yeah so so would he make dune messiah the third the third movie i think that makes sense because like i've never read all of dune messiah but but the way that dune kind of works the book 
you get sort of like snippets of what comes after the events mm-hmm. of Dune. Like you get a lot of um, like uh, there's a character that you're sort of getting these excerpts that like tell the grander story of Paul Atreides yep. that even happens after the events of Dune. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think the novel itself kind of is trying to make it feel um, uh, a little bit like there's a little bit more closure of like what comes next. But yeah, I, I think that's a great idea. Well, the, it, one, it, one of the, the other oh, one the thing I want to throw in there too, that's sort of tied to this is that now that we're in the spoiler talk, I can mention that, and this is only having seen it the one time through, and maybe it'll play differently when I know where it's going, but all of the events that happen after the attack, after the big battle, um, the film, to me, can't sustain the momentum of everything that led up to that. So I think we probably have another half hour of footage that happens afterwards with um, Rebecca Ferguson and Timothy Chalamet running away uh, and then getting uh, tracked and then picked up by... Bardem and and Zendaya's uh, tribe. I I'm not familiar enough with the terms. That bit, while it was fine, you know, it it didn't nearly captivate me as much as everything that led up to the move to Arrakis and then the battle. Well, the movie basically like essentially climaxes in that battle sequence, uh, in my in my opinion. But yeah. what's fascinating, it's so interesting because when I got out of the film, that was like you know, I I knew that. I was blown away by what I experienced. I knew that I loved what I watched, but I was, I, I, as I texted you, you guys, I couldn't, I was like, this feels like it's just half a movie. Hmm. But when you really think about like the idea of this is the beginning of Paul's journey. He is, he doesn't even become that character in this particular movie. Uh, he doesn't ever become, or Chalamet believes he doesn't become that character in, in this particular story hmm. uh, in part one. Um, I mean, the Dune Part One title card to me is, is is all the audience needs to know when they sit down. As long as they see that, uh, and the movie ends where it ends. But I think Sean, the discussion you and I were having was how how will a general audience get this? Like if they, if they're not if they're not in the know in terms of like the world, like Gabe was saying, like we know there's a sequel, we want it greenlit, etc. You know, does the does the average audience member walk out disappointed? Does it get up? Does it get a bad cinema score mm-hmm. because oh, it ends in the middle of the story? Like do like it's one of those things where like you're you're I'm almost like worried how people are going to handle it. Like because I loved it so much, but I also understand and agree with you on the half a movie aspect. Sure, yeah. where it 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 is half the story. Or if you're um, a Zendaya fan and you think she's going to be in it a lot, <laughs> right? Right. And well, they promoted that they're promoting the movie as if she's the star. It's one Which of the is, things that are going against the marketing. She Jake, is. You, yeah, you had something really interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm curious to how you guys feel about this. Whenever I talk to people about the whole part one, part two thing, it's not so much that it's split into part one, part two that bothers people. A lot and of times, I it. tell I tell people <laughs> that's it. A lot of times, I tell people, "Hey guys, heads up! Like this is just half the book. It ends on a cliffhanger. The title card says part one, and I can't tell you how many times people." follow up with okay cool 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 so like when does part two come out yeah and i go well <laughs> yeah not only have they not shot it they haven't even officially said it's gonna happen which is yet. such and that's what yeah. throws people that's off. a problem that's a problem yeah, and, and sean that was the whole thing was like when when, when that ended i wasn't really I, I i wasn't really worried or concerned about where it ended it was oh my god it ended there but we don't have the second part of the film shot. Sure. Yep, exactly. <laughs> or greenlit. And I or, think that dictates that, that dictates me out. His his lack of as a filmmaker, his lack of knowledge of whether he can even continue this story dictates 
how he treats the end of his movie. No, no director wants to go into a project not knowing what their ending is. And he he can't know. He can't know. And that's very frustrating from a director standpoint, from the film standpoint. Do they announce it this week? Like it's Wednesday. It's Wednesday, the week of release. I'm time stamping this so people know when we're recording this in case anything happens. Do they, in theory, they would have to do it. We talked about whether or not they were going to announce it before the film comes out. In theory, they would have to do it either later today or tomorrow. Do they greenlight it tomorrow? I don't well, think that so. was what we were texting, and but but here's the scary thing, and, and we and I know we've said this before, but we need to say this again. The movie is on HBO Max a day early, which is a slap in the face to the film, in my personal opinion. Um, second of all, it has to have a theatrical run you, that you hope does well, where it's profitable enough that they'll want to uh, greenlight it. That's but, off the table, I think. They cannot hold this to some sort of theatrical accountability if they're going to release it a day early and and, and on streaming no, at the same I know. time. Like, aren't I, you I, worried the, about that? But, or isn't that worry you? Well, no, I mean, like, who... But who's to say? Like, th- those rules don't apply. If they come out and say it didn't do enough in theaters, we're not going to do it, like, then we can just talk... We can talk... We can call bullshit on that. They they can't allow that. That doesn't make any sense. You, 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 can't, also, you can't cut off someone off at their knees and then complain that they didn't run the marathon. Exactly. Enough. Now, if they say across all platforms, whatever, it, it didn't do enough for us, yeah, then it's no, like... no one watched it on HBO Max. And no then one that's, it, you, know, you know, that's unfortunately the business that we're all in of... Well, it had cost, it of costs uh, hundreds you know, of millions of dollars to make these things has, and, and those people make Has this decisions. ever happened before in the history of cinema where... A half a film, half a story was made, and then the other half didn't get done. Get, or was it a Divergent? They, um, they didn't finish they that didn't series. Finish that. Well, yeah. Golden yeah. Compass. Golden Compass yeah. was supposed to be a franchise. It has happened before, sure. Um, wow. To this extent, though, There's it is pretty. Too. It is. It, it's different to this extent, other than maybe the Divergent series, where they even allowed him to put part one in the in the <laughs> title, and they allowed sure. him to end on this is just the beginning, which which I think was the right way to do. For us, the audience, but for them, that sets them oh, up because you know, like what it did, like it, it kind of hit it in the back, in the back. Yeah, it was the very yeah. last thing that came up as a title card. They called it "It Chapter One," which they probably even, added way late. Yeah. You know, yeah, like well, right before that, it came that out. story wraps itself off, and even like on the way out, because I was yeah, the only does. person in our, I went and saw it with a big group, and I was the only person in that group that had read the book. I kind of was like, "Hey, do you get what they said? They said like, if they're adults, that they're going to come back. Like that's what that's what that's why it says part one, and they're like, everyone's yeah. like, oh, okay." Okay. <laughs> one thing that's really important to note though is that is that when you review this film it's you're reviewing it as as the film you saw right yeah, i mean like the to. industry yeah. inside knowledge that we have about them not shooting or green lighting part two or that there's another part coming and all, all, all those things like that's why like after i got out of the film my anxiety was about the fact that they haven't shot part two so i'm like because i wanted it so badly after seeing part one but if you look if you take a step back which i have in these past few weeks and just look at the movie as as a whole and yes it does end halfway through the you know the story it's it's still i think a perfect film in terms of from a filmmaking perspective from an acting perspective from a score perspective you know from sound mixing everything it is a phenomenal movie yeah it's but i just can't like, it, it, it's hard i know what sean's saying it's hard it's it is hard to say it's a whole movie because well, it is half the story but even if even if the ending of the movie was the end of the story i still think it it has a momentum problem in that it goes too far after the battle 
<laughs> it goes too far after that battle. That battle is such the pinnacle of the movie. You didn't like, like the, the battle. Um, not that you didn't like, but the but the 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 build up with the Fremen when mm-hmm. they uh, are running from the sandworm, yeah. and then he has the whole battle where he kind yeah, of becomes a, he becomes a Fremen. That for me, that was that was uh, exciting yeah. and intense. Like I feel yes, it it's was, not a, it, yes, it's not like a bunch it wasn't of ex- the battle. Yeah. Okay, and but, I yeah. feel like I feel like the sandworms got a t- a moment in that other spectacular uh sequence when they're hovering over them and the and the sandworm yeah, swallows that saving. craft that's yeah. a great moment um that's a tremendous you go see moment. Remember ryan and after like the first 30 minutes you're like this movie has a momentum problem no that's not the movie dune is pretending to be but, this but if it ended movie. but if it ended on the battle um in the city Right. Isn't it just another movie that that ramps up to a yes. big space battle yes. with explosions? Yes. But okay, so I would have been fine. And again, this is nitpicking. I know I we're nitpicking. We all love it. Four and a half out of five for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I would have been we're fine just, with a yeah. couple of scenes of exposition, you know, following the battle of like, here's where everybody is kind of. And sure. here's where they could potentially go. I thought it kept going. So then as it kept going, I was like, okay, well, now we need to get to a thing. Mm-hmm. And then when it got to the thing, it was a little bit just like, well, now it's over. And I was like, okay. Well, Okay, What's okay. interesting about the ending, though, is that it's the ultimate. I need more right now. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's kind like, of it's like a tease. The last oh, sixty seconds are a teaser. Like you yeah. see a person riding the sandworm. You like, get the hint is, that he's going to be someone. It's a trailer for the for, next. Film. For you guys so, who haven't read, is that I, yeah. I wanted to ask you? I was curious oh, with that ending. How much more do you feel like you have to discover? Not just the story of like how is it going to end, quote unquote, but. And I think it, it was intending to do this with what I know comes next. Did that ending leave you with a, oh, we barely know these people and we're going to learn a lot more? Or do you just feel like, oh, he's going to be with these people and I'll see how the story ends? That one. Interesting. That one. Yeah. Because um, I think what they were I'm... going for and what it's, what it's saying is when you see someone writing the sandworm, that is supposed yeah. to be a reveal of like, that's why she had the hooks and go... They ride sandworms, and you're about to find out that uh, the Hark- the Harkonnens' understanding of the Fremen is a again another brilliant thing that he's including in this novel is a very uh, uh, sort of compartmentalized and they ride sandworms. They ride sandworms now. That's pretty dope. <laughs> <laughs> they ride now. Um, <laughs> I mean, so sorry. Sean, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. No, but Sean's point. Is, I mean, Sean's point is valid, and I had the same a similar reaction, but but. When you step back and look at it as, as a as a film, it is it's brilliant. I, mean, I do it's, want to see it again. Insane. I'm looking it's forward to seeing it again. Incredible, incredible film. I like, do. It really, I, it really is. I do want to add before we move on that I think uh, I think it's a perfect adaptation of the book. I'm curious. I haven't read too many people who are like fans of the book and and what they think of this. I think it's a per- perfect adaptation, not in that it's a page for page. Um, sort of, you know, watchmanification of it, which I think mm-hmm. Watchmen's a perfect adaptation. That's a different story. Um, but because he clearly has a complete handle on the characters mm-hmm. and their role in the story and their uh, their traits and sort of their the way they should be personified on screen um, and the way they're personified in your head when you read the book, and also an, a sense of what the larger elements that happen in the book, in the plot itself, and kind of why they exist. And he truly adapts them into a film that captures that. And not only captures those specifics, but captures the tone of the book. 
the book itself is much worse at exposition than this movie is. The book itself huh. has full, like, you're like, I'm reading this chapter just so they can tell me that this is how the Galactic Empire is structured. Um, and it works for the book. It's, it's, it, it's... Like, you fool, you know that this does this, does this, right. does this, does this. In a, on a movie, you guys, eyes rolled, you'd be looking at the side of the screen, it would be the end of the world. Mm-hmm. But he still, man, he knows, like, yes, but you needed to know that there's an emperor in this structure without us doing, you know, an hour and a half on right. scenes that don't need to be there. So I think it's a perfect adaptation in that he truly understands the material and is also happens to be one of the best filmmakers working today and made the best version of it that he could in the medium, yeah. which is hard no to one find. Else before we, before we move on, no one else answered. Do you think it gets greenlit before, before the movie opens sequel well, gets greenlit? I, I mean, I, when we were on the text thread the other day, I was like, they're going to greenlight the sequel Thursday or Friday to make a story, to push people to the theater. And they could, but that was, I mean, that's what I thought they would do. And I was, that's what I hope that's they would what do. you hope they do. But here's the thing at the end of the day, Gabe said this, that WB allowed him to put part one on screen. Sure. And it ends with a line that literally tells you there's more. Yeah. So then there's no reason if, that they haven't done it yet. It's the weirdest thing. I, I, I think it's the weirdest. Thing, I think right? that if they, <laughs> if they end up not, if this is the last we get of it, although and I, I believe they're also uh, developing a Dune series, like based on the, uh, based on the uh, Bene Gesserit. So it's like they seem very invested in the IP. Like, I think they want to build it out as like, you know, uh, for corporate speak sake, an IP and a brand that they can sort of have not just movies, but TV shows, potentially video games or something like that. Like, I, th- I think they want to do more with it. I If they don't greenlight the rest of this, I think it is one of it'll be like a historical thing in the f- in sort of film history of Ugh. a weird decision, like a weird thing that shouldn't have happened that happened where. We have this another thing on Dune itself's sort of like a uh, scorecard of weird, yeah. weird things right. of being, right, right, right. you know, whether it's Jodorowsky's Dune, which got canned, but but inspired, you know, Star Wars and all these other things. Or it's um, it's the 80s Dune to, that, that was is just sort of a universal flop. This will be yet another thing of like, remember when they made half of it perfectly and then they said, nah, no, thanks. We don't want to we don't want to not to stay it. remarkably on brand, but they gave Zack Snyder four hours to make a movie that teases. Uh, yeah, it's two just other films that we'll never get to. Hopefully see. they learn that lesson. Like, I, I hope I've said along the way, like, I feel same I, studio too. hopefully I like I've 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 wishfully thought that. It's been greenlit in the background, and for some reason mm. they're holding out on that. Mm. Maybe they're trying to hedge their bet, but it very much every putting part one in the title. Oh, can the, we do another guess where we guess the opening? Oh, the numbers. The numbers. Go ahead, I'll, I'll write them down. All right, let's really quick guess the box office uh, for Dune this opening weekend. Jake, where are you? I'm going to say 35. Cav, where are you? Well, Blade Runner 2049 did 32 million without HBO Max. <sighs> I mean, I wanted to do 45, 50, 60, 70, 80. Realistically, 27. Oh, wow. All right. Uh, I think it does long. Um, I think it does 40. Ooh. I'm saying 40. I'd be happy with 40. I hope, I hope what I happens is the opposite. Amazing, yeah. I hope it's the opposite of uh, Bond, and it's like... It opens a, at 125? 125. Kevin, Kevin's original <laughs> Bond number. <laughs> We're getting every right. Dune thing adapted for till the end of time. My, and, my, and my prediction is all based on the fact that it's on HBO Max... Yeah, a, a day early. But uh, the HBO and, Max audience isn't going to see it there. I don't think they. I don't think they're going to see it there. To be honest with you. Okay. So 
let's get to the blend game. Piracy is a bigger problem than HBO Max. I think. I think piracy is a bigger problem because it's open internationally. But that's neither neither here nor there. Wait, can uh, I can I can I can I just give some good? I was gonna say I'm gonna go to thirty for me, just because I, I, I just don't go want to thirty twenties. I feel bad about saying okay, twenty seven. Right. I'm gonna go 30. thirty. Corrected to the all 30s. right. The blend game, Denis Villeneuve blend. Um, we've been talking about Denis the whole show. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with a film that I've talked about several times on the show. Uh, it's Arrival. Arrival is his perfect film. Uh, I think it's more perfect than Blade Runner. I think it's more perfect than Dune. Why? Because it has an ending. It has a perfect <laughs> ending <laughs> that ties everything up in a delicious bow that still has a very complicated uh, choice for our main character to make. Um, I love, 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 love Amy Adams, and I think she's outstanding in this movie. Uh, the tech to to um, portray the ships and the alien and the use of language uh, is also incredibly brilliant. The script is amazing. Uh, it's a perfect fit of material and filmmaker uh, and I'm not quite sure if he keeps working for the next 20 to 30 years that he will top Arrival, honestly, um, because I just think it's I think it's that perfect. Um, so I have to pick it as my favorite film of his. Uh, a lot of times he does come across as a as a filmmaker that I appreciate. Um, and having gone back, I rewatched Blade Runner 2049 in preparation for Dune. And I was like, oh, damn, even though I, I loved that movie when it came out, I was like, this is so much more like. <laughs> he's working on another level obviously yeah but arrival is gonna be my 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 favorite when i have to pick it so kev where are you you're there too uh, yeah arrival arrival is definitely his masterpiece um but i will say this you know i'm just gonna put it out into the world positively once we get dune part two if it happens mm. um i will be interested to see that full picture mm. um because you know again dune Dune, Dune Part One, the part that's coming out this weekend. Even though they're calling it Dune in the marketing, I think fans are going to be like, "Oh, there's a Dune Part One." But I do believe that that movie itself is a great film. But I want to see his complete Dune film, sure. like like literally Part One, Part Two, back to back, and then I would be able to say if that's better than Arrival or not. Okay. At the moment, in terms of a full structured story, Arrival, mm. no question. Um, Johan Johansson's score perfect uh every single beat of that film the twist blew my freaking mind when those flash were they wait were they were presented as flashbacks but yes. they were actually flash forwards yes like i i, I don't I, I can't remember all i remember is just be, like my jaw hitting the floor and not since gone baby gone had i walked out of a film questioning something so moral yeah and interesting because, you know, for people who have seen Arrival or, or, you know, who haven't, there's a decision that Amy Adams' character has to make at the end of that film that is so incredibly heartbreaking. Um, but you see both sides and you're like, I mean, but, you know, there's a whole, whole argument for why she does it, a whole argument for why she shouldn't have done it. Um, but it is... Oh, I mean, it is just a brilliant film, every aspect of it. And when she gets up into the ship and has that conversation oh. and like learns everything and like, you know, the idea of the character saving, uh, you know, it was just unreal. I think Arrival, Arrival is the movie that Chris Nolan thinks he's making every time. 
It's no Interstellar, oh, but, it, but please, it, it, listen, sir. Listen. Arrival is so <laughs> much better than Interstellar. What? No, it's oh my not. God, listen, yes. Arrival's, like, Arrival's a five out of five, but Interstellar is a six out of five. <laughs> Interstellar is a masterpiece, but so is Arrival. Um, okay. But we're, but we're talking uh, about you're, like, you're touching on why I hate number starring and, and numbers, right? Yeah, so you're you're touching on my base, but basically, like you know. Villeneuve and Nolan, Villeneuve, Villeneuve and Nolan are, are in my opinion, on even playing fields at this point. Like they're why both you, just. Why do you hate out. Tarantino? I don't understand. I love Tarantino. Well, Tarantino, he's he's been around for how many years? Now? <laughs> Tarantino's a nine out of five. Jakey, where are you? What's your choice? Uh, I'm going Blade Runner 2049. Ooh. Um, yeah, and in, in, in a lot of ways, it's funny how we, um, you know, we we say Doom Part One, and inevitably, I believe we're going to say Doom Part Two. To me, I, I've gotten to the point where I feel like Blade Runner 2049 is so necessary mm. to that story that to me, in my heart, it's almost like it's Blade Runner Part 1 and Blade Runner Part 2. Interesting. In the same way that Doctor Sleep is such a necessary completion to The Shining that I never knew needed completion, right. I feel like Blade Runner 2049 makes me, in a weird way, feel like Blade Runner is incomplete and not the full story. And Blade Runner 2049 is so good and so substantial and so connected and so just viscerally intertwined with its source material that it feels like it was always meant to be told that way. It feels like we just got it many decades later from a different filmmaker. Did Ridley uh, ever review Blade Runner 2049? Did he ever comment on it? I think question. he did comment on it. I don't, I did have he, to look it up. Did he give his did James Cameron uh, thumbs up that James Cameron gives on all his things? Yeah. Let me find this one. Like, like, what, like, like whatever Terminator it is, James Cameron's like best one. Best one. Ridley's pretty salty. Yeah, <laughs> Ridley, Ridley, Ridley does. Believe, I think someone asked him about the uh, Alien series the other day, and he's like, it won't be better than the first one, which he's probably right. That's the he's thing. Like, we always it. talk about, like, we always talk about this with Ridley Scott, oh. where we go, like, is he arrogant or whatever? And I go, yeah, but he's never wrong. Yeah. Well, it's like, right. it's, it's the it's the Lebowski quote. Like, you're not wrong. You're just an asshole. Yeah, exactly. Um, so so that's, that's sort of how oh, I feel. No. I don't know. Wait, I I'm, I'm going to be quick because I got to jump off pretty soon. But like, yeah, so yeah. basically that's it is that like between Deacon cinematography, Denise um, uh, direction, Harrison Ford gives a performance that proves that he still has the capacity to give a damn when the he care. gives a damn. Yeah. Um, you know, Gosling is so subdued but still like does so much with that role um it's a, it's a great film noir that feels like a 1940s film that's set in 2040 um did that give us every anna Darmus, who's now just yeah, like a absolutely. powerhouse yeah performer. which which you know um so and, and it's it's you know blade runner is one of my all-time favorite films it's one of the greatest sci-fi films ever made and it's a and, and 2049 is a sequel that somehow made that film better mm. um and the, and the only other comparison i can make it is is dr sleep and uh and, and the shining I um so first of all before I read this um I think uh Denise Blade Runner 2049 is a better film than Sir Ridley Scott's and I love the first one I would just rather watch 2049 what Ridley say this is the headline to the Entertainment Weekly article Ridley Scott on Blade Runner 2049 quote it was fucking way too long. <laughs> uh, I, I will continue reading some of his other thoughts. How long was the last tool again? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He said this to Vulture. He said, I have to be careful what I say. Uh, then, and, then, and then it goes, it was fucking way too long. And then he says, F me. And most of the script's mine. <laughs> That's what, so he's having fun. Is, he's saying most, most of, of it that is his. Most of that script's mine. Yeah. 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 He's having fun. Yeah. 
I think he's having fun too. He's but the best. That's like Tarantino is. saying he needs to see Tenet again. <laughs> Wait, House of Gucci could be over three hours from what we're seeing. So who knows? There was like a runtime post. Twenty forty nine had a great runtime. Oh, it's terrific. Uh, audience picks: Randy Buss, a longtime listener of the show. He went with Prisoners. Uh, Rahul Ranganath says impossible to answer, but he went with Incendies. Uh, Sebs, Andy Fisher, Danny Thill, and many others went with Blade Runner 2049. Nico, James Vasquez, and many, many, many others went with Arrival. Lots of love for Sicario, Prisoners, and across his entire filmography. Uh, Can we point out how diverse his his filmography is? Oh, yeah. No, it's incredible. Look at Enemy, look at Prisoners, look at Sicario, Sicario. look at Dune, look look at Blade Runner 2049. Yep. Like, that's a master. He's incredible. Yeah. He's incredible. Yeah. That's a master filmmaker. We're going to yeah. keep it on a, in a Halloween theme. And for next week, we're going to play hashtag final girl blend. Yes. So I have my answer. I'm so excited. And about explain my what that is just for, so for people I who will. don't know. Okay. So normally in a, in a horror slasher movie, uh, there's all the different people who get knocked off during the course mm-hmm. of it. Um, and this is usually the last girl standing. It's traditionally a girl. I think we've had some final guys once or twice before, but it's like, um, they had their Langenkamps of the world, uh, who is Nancy in the Freddy Krueger movies. Mm. Um, this this is the one who survives and this is, is usually fun. picked up at the end of the movie. And so there's an even really fun comedy, horror comedy, about Final Girls. That came there's out. a great um, book out that I read. Uh, oh yeah, long, the Final right. Girl, Final Girl Support Group, or Final yeah, Final Girls like Support Group. Basically, it's kind of like. Um, it, it very but like it, it's basically this idea of like it's almost like an Alcoholics Anonymous, but yeah. if you were a final girl, and it's very without like getting to the point where they're crossing into copyright infringement. Each final girl that they represent is like one of them is the final girl for a white masked killer who stalked babysitters. One of them is the yeah. final girl for a killer who was too obsessed with horror films. One of them is the final girl for a killer who wore a skin mask and had a, had a, a chainsaw. Like that's funny. it's so it's, it's loose enough so that like they do, they can't get sued, right. but enough so you can be like, Oh, I know who each one of these are. And it's them in their fifties and sixties and how they're supporting. And then all of a sudden they start getting killed off one by one. It's oh, very that's fun. Cool. It's, it's a that's great awesome. book. It's, it's a very fun read. It's worth your time. Oh, that's a good has anyone bought the movie rights to that yet? That would be a if great they, movie. They, I'm curious as with to the how... actual casting, the actual like final girl, from the oh, franchises no. oh, oh, what? oh no that would be my end game yes let's do it yes. let's pull our money together so we assume in halloween ends that she'll kill michael myers so then yeah. jamie Lee curtis can join the all my money i can <laughs> <Yeah. it. laughs> well she is definitely one of the final girls so without yeah. a doubt yeah. just from the first one so uh, okay just to reiterate something very important anybody listening to this podcast if you if you have a friend who's really into movies uh and you feel safe Please go to a theater and see Dune. Uh, and and, and uh, we're just saying that because this is a film that we genuinely love. Yeah. But it's also a film that we want to see another a part to. Um, but we also understand that it might be a film you might be wondering, what is it? I don't know what this is. Or, you know, it, it, it is it is such an experience on the big screen. Um, and I was talking to somebody at work today who was going to watch it on HBO Max. I'm like... I was like, I will, I literally will buy your ticket to go to a theater if you go, um, because it's that important. So if you feel safe, try and bring some friends that this is a movie that we, we want to see do well. And, yeah. and, and we, we, we have no, nothing invested in it. We're just people who love movies. We just want to see it do well because it's so damn good. Absolutely. That's all I want to say. So we'll talk about it next week, uh, how it does. Uh, next premium episode is a mailbag episode. Mailbag. Again, you can get access to all that at cinemablend.com backslash Premium. Follow us online. 
social media at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, at Sean underscore O'Connell, at Gabe Kovach. And the show is at Real Blend. We'll talk to you guys next week. E.T. The Extraterrestrial. Uh, Last Crusade. Uh, the, the, the bad one, Temple of Doom. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.